0: I don't know about you, but it never gets old being reminded of the cross and the work that Jesus accomplished to make us his own. Whether through singing or taking the Lord's Supper or being reminded through the scriptures, it never gets old, never gets old. I do encourage you to turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of James, chapter two. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 26 this morning. James, chapter two, verses 14 through 26. Continuing to make our way through this New Testament book, I hope that by God and his grace, you are being encouraged and stirred, perhaps convicted by it, that our lives may be more and more like Christ. Let's stand together and honor the reading of God's word. James chapter two, beginning in verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe, and shudder. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you give us now understanding of this inspired word, that our lives may be more like Christ and you would be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You can take your seats. How you live your life matters. It matters to your family, it matters to your friends and coworkers, it matters to your own integrity. Certainly it matters if you're running for president as we have seen throughout this crazy few months that we've encountered. Actions can make all the difference in the world. And nowhere is that more true than of the follower of Jesus Christ. You see, there is a fundamental difference between the one who follows Jesus and the rest of the world. And that fundamental difference is evident in the way that we live out our lives as Christ followers. What you do and what you say matters because what you do and what you say ultimately is a reflection of your faith or the lack thereof, your faith in Christ. We come to this passage today, and we we are presented here with what I would call a relationship between faith in Christ and good works. How do these two fit together? I think James gives us some helpful instruction here regarding our actions, specifically our good works, and how they relate to faith in Christ. In verse 14, James says, James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? I sound just a little loud, so if you could turn me down just a little bit, I might get cranked up here in a minute, blow everybody out. (laughs) Someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Can there be such a thing as faith without some kind of manifestation of goodness coming out of a person's life? Is that possible? And James says, no. End of sermon, right? Not so fast. You see, the main point that James is driving home here is that true saving faith is always validated by the presence of good works. We need to hold on through through this sermon because if we're not careful we will confuse the order in which these things exist. Happens all the time. In other words, you cannot claim to be a Christian and not live like a Christian. So we're going to look at this passage today by by looking at what James would, would call dead faith. Faith without works is dead. We're going to look at dead faith and then we're going to look at some examples of a living faith and just consider what James has to say, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that our lives would be instructed and edified, convicted, strengthened, whatever it is that we need today. Let's look at this passage together. First point I want us to consider is what I would call a dead faith exposed. James begins his discussion with a question: he says, What good is it? What good is it? If someone says he has faith but does not have works. Now, keep in mind, this is not the first time James has brought up this concept of faith and works. He's already talked about it in this, in this letter already. Recall from last week in chapter two, verse one, James commands us to not show partiality as we hold the faith. So you can't be a Christian and be partial. You can't claim to be a follower of Jesus and, and ignore a certain segment or certain person, type of person, faith and works. Back in chapter one, verse 22, he calls us to be not only hearers of the word, but Doers of the word. So what James continues to expound on here, and then he fleshes out in great detail in this section that we're looking at this morning, is he wants us to be aware of counterfeit faith, dead faith, false faith, hypocrisy, and, and understand that that thing does exist, and it's problematic. But he also wants, to, also wants us to understand positively that there's such a thing as genuine saving faith and this is what comes along with it. It's my concern and I know the concern of many is that there have been so many people, so many people under the umbrella of Christianity that have settled for a faith that is far, far less than saving faith. This counterfeit faith is often prevalent in the church. So let's look at some marks of a dead faith. Let's look at some characteristics so that we can begin to identify, and and friends, I hope that as you're seeking to evaluate this sermon, you're not evaluating someone else. But by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit of God, you're, you're seeking to understand how the word of God is Applied to you. First truth about a dead faith. A dead faith is empty. Verses 14 through 17. James says, someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? Earlier he says in the same verse, what good is this kind of faith? It's a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. Where a faith without works is, is of no use. A faith that doesn't produce good works is not genuine now as good protestants this is where you might find yourself wrestling with james a bit it was certainly a passage that gave martin luther much heartburn why he called this a right straw epistle. He didn't have much, he didn't like James all that well because he was so ardent, such an ardent defender of salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, which is what we espouse, but we need to understand here a, a couple of things. Now, think about this, I mean, aren't we saved by faith and not by works? Don't we say that all of the time? We're saved by faith, not by works. It's true. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation with God, nothing. Except by the Holy Spirit, become aware of your own sin and inadequacy and place your dependence and trust in Christ. There's not enough Bible reading, Sunday school classes to attend, prayers to pray, whatever it is you want to do to earn favor with God. We're saved by faith and not by works. Now, this is where James has been accused of contradicting Paul because in Romans 3, verse 28, Paul says, For we hold that one is justified by faith and not by works of the law. Contradiction. James says we're justified by works. Paul says we're justified by faith. We have a problem on our hands here. So some have accused James of teaching a form of salvation by works, but is that really what James is saying? I think on a closer look, we, we see that that's not, all, not at all what James is saying. The, the confusion surfaces because some people don't realize that Paul and James are emphasizing two different things concerning our salvation. Paul is highlighting justification, how we are made right with God, and James is highlighting our sanctification, how that faith is fleshed out. Or we could say it this way, Paul presented the message of the gospel while James is highlighting the implications of the gospel. They're dealing with two different aspects of our salvation, not the means of our salvation. Here's the crux of the matter. You cannot earn or obtain salvation by doing good works, but you cannot claim to be a Christian and not have good works. Let me say that again. You cannot earn or obtain salvation by doing good works, but you cannot claim to be a Christian and not have good works. Great Puritan Thomas Manton wrote this. He said, by the listen to this, by the righteousness of faith, we are acquitted from sin, we're justified. And by the righteousness of works, we are acquitted from hypocrisy. Confirmed to be justified by a true faith. Let me say that again. By the righteousness of faith, we are acquitted from sin, we're justified, and by the righteousness of works, we are acquitted from hypocrisy. Calvin most famously put it this way It is therefore faith alone which justifies, yet the faith which justifies is never alone. I think the concern that James had is a concern that we see today, the, what I would call the deadly plague of easy believism. Where one claims to have faith, but, but it's not proven. All that matters is if you just believe in Jesus. Don't worry about how you live, all, all you need to do is just believe in Jesus. Friends, I would actually argue that is not the full gospel. Yes, you are justified by faith, made right with Jesus, but a person who is justified by faith in Christ is a person who will produce the fruit of righteousness. Easy believism says all that matters is if you believe. I want you to listen to what the apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 a passage we go to often to emphasize that salvation is not by works listen to what he says for by grace is chapter 2 verse 8 Ephesians for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works that that's clear right your salvation is by grace through faith And that is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. You cannot boast in your salvation. God saved you. You didn't save yourself, God saved you. But look at verse 10. For, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So not only was your salvation planned in eternity past, the good works through which you would live out your salvation were planned in eternity past, so that as a follower of Jesus, you would demonstrate the reality of your conversion through how you live your life. James, if if we could put it this way, James is kind of focusing on Ephesians 2 verse 10. That's where he's camped out. He, He gets Ephesians two, verses eight and nine, that we're saved by grace through faith. He gets that, but he's just camped out right now on verse 10 of Ephesians two. He's fleshing out what this good works does. Dead faith is empty. Number two, dead faith is inactive. Look at verses 15 through 17. James, he, he presents a hypothetical scenario where one claims to have faith but doesn't respond to someone in need. Brother, sisters, poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, they're coming to you for help, and you say, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but don't offer any help. Friends, words mean nothing if they don't lead us to action. We can claim to be a people all about the gospel, but unless we're seeking to serve others, serve others in our community, build relationships with our neighbors, show compassion to the needy, seek to sacrifice for the sake of the nations, and on and on we could go, then we can come here on Sunday mornings all we want and prove in the end to be dead people. You sitting here right now doesn't make you more a Christian than the, 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 the most pagan of pagans. If you're coming here today to, to, to hopefully get into heaven because of your presence here, it's not going to get it. I'm glad you're here, by the way. It's important that we gather. Friends, we can claim to be people about the gospel, but if we don't flesh that out, if we don't live that out, not just on Sundays, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday empty, it's inactive. That's our concern. My concern, I see, I, see, I see this warning in scripture. The residue of dead faith rests on many an aisle in churches all over the world each Sunday. Friend, if we could interview your coworkers, Right now, you stay, you stay seated. Right now, we're gonna go get your coworkers and we're gonna bring them right here. People you work with. You say, well, I'm not, a, I don't work. People you go to school with, well, I don't go to school. People you live beside. Uh, I live on a farm, nobody's near me. People that know you, how's that? Your Facebook friends, I don't know. If we were to bring them right now, just you seated, no warning, and we were to interview them, what's the first thing or some of the first things that they would say about you? Would it have anything to do with Jesus? Or would they be absolutely clueless that you have any kind of connection to Jesus? Friends, inactive faith is a sham. Listen to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter six. Verse 43, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruits. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Notice there's there's two people here, there's not a third option. He keeps going. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do or, and not do what I tell you? You know another way that we could say that. Why do you claim to have faith and not works? Friends, we need to remember that our, our what we desire, what we love, what we like, will, will lead us to act. If you're a Washington Nationals baseball fan, I will not have to tell you to turn on the TV at 1 p.m. today. I, I won't have to do that. It's the playoffs. If, you know, I not know. Going back into to the past, if, I never had to tell a Harry Potter fan they really needed to get the next book that had been out for two months now. I didn't have to tell those folks to do that. All you Apple people rarely have to be coerced to upgrade your iPhone. Friends, we always do the things we want to do. We act upon the things that we desire and love, and crave, and want. Friends, that is no less true of our relationship with Jesus. Number three, another mark of dead faith. Dead faith is shallow. Look with me at verse 19. This is always an interesting passage. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. You're right up there with the demons. Even the demons believe. and shudder. Listen, listen carefully. Saving faith is not the same thing as belief. Mental assent, mental awareness is not the same thing as saving faith. Merely believing facts about Jesus is not the same thing as believing in Jesus. You can believe facts about Jesus all day long. I'm convinced that Satan and his demons could have, could have aced seminary. The demons could be teaching our equip classes, throwing out information. They're quite certain of the exi- existence of God, so much so that they cower in horror before him. But that certainly doesn't save them. That doesn't reconcile them to God. One way we can think about this, it's one thing to say yes, I believe that airplane will hold me up and deliver me safely to the next generation, or next destination, but it's another thing completely to actually get on the plane, isn't it? Merely believing facts is not the same thing as acting upon those facts. Many times in the New Testament, people are called to believe in Jesus, right? I'm I'm bracing for your response. Well, belief, it actually says that, Pastor. In Acts chapter 16, verse 30, the Philippian jailer asked, men, what must I do to be saved? To which the answer came, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But friends, this belief that the Philippian jailer had was quite a different belief than the demons have because this belief that the Philippian jailer had was a belief that spurred him to action and to actually rest in Christ and to trust in Christ and to follow Christ. And you might be here today and believe facts about Jesus, but have you actually believed in Jesus? You might have this general awareness of God or you might have this, maybe, maybe you don't have an awareness of God. Maybe, maybe you, you've not even dealt with that. And again, but you're aware of others that have this awareness of God. So distantly you have this awareness or yeah, you believe certain things about Jesus. He's a great guy. He's a great prophet. He's, he's a great teacher. He's all of this and all of that. But friends, that does not save you. Jesus gave this clear and sobering warning in Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I think what Jesus is telling us and what James is telling us and what others will tell us in the scriptures is this. It is possible to think that you are a Christian and actually not be a Christian. I don't say that to cause unnecessary doubt in your life today. Just saying it's possible There's going to be many on judgment day that stand before Jesus and thinking they're good to go and they're going to be turned away because they had simply a belief about Jesus but not a trust in him. That's dead faith. Dead faith is a serious deal. Easy believism is a serious deal because it leads thousands to hell. It's a deadly thing. But what about living faith? Let's look at the second point. Living faith exemplified. You know, as we've considered the realities of a dead faith, it should be more and more clear to us what true saving faith is. While we were saved by faith alone, this faith is not alone, but is accompanied by a transformed life. It produces good works. It produces fruits. We are saved by the good work of Jesus so that we can live a life of good works for Christ, to his glory and to his honor. What James does now is is that he reaches back into the Old Testament to show us two examples of how saving faith is validated through good works. Let's be clear. I think sometimes we get confused on this. Some people think the Old Testament salvation came by doing good works, New Testament salvation is by faith. Not so. Salvation from beginning to end, from Old Testament to New is by salvation, salvation is by faith in, the finished work of Christ, the Old Testament saints looking forward to that day and now the New Testament saints living that reality and looking back upon that reality. Salvation is always by faith. Never has it been that, any difference. But what what James does is he reaches back into the Old Testament to pull out two examples to show how these, these people in their faith were validated in their faith by the works that they performed. Look at Abraham. It's interesting, the example of Abraham. It's interesting that James refers to the example of Abraham because Paul also reuses the example of Abraham in Romans chapter four. And if James and Paul are in contradiction, then how can they be referring to the same example? Well, again, it's because they're referring to different aspects of our salvation. In verse 22, James says... Look with me, actually verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? We know that story if you go back to Genesis and you read the account where God asked Abraham to bring his son Isaac and bind him on the altar and to present him as a sacrifice. And just in time, as Abraham was literally about to take the life of his son, God provides a substitute, a ram in the thicket. And he provides this substitute sacrifice to take the place of Isaac, a beautiful, beautiful reflection of the gospel and how Christ is our substitute and takes upon himself the sacrifice and the judgment we deserve. We could preach on that for quite a while, but that's, that's what happened. So I'll just. Those of you who may not be familiar with Abraham and Isaac, Isaac doesn't die by the hands of Abraham, okay? He he lives, but Abraham was about to do it in obedience to God. God had asked him to do this, and Abraham was living out his life of faith, acting upon his faith. James says here that Abraham's faith was active along with his works, and that faith was completed by his works. In other words, faith must be worked worked out in our daily lives. Abraham's faith was being fleshed out as he acted on God's command. His willingness to sacrifice Isaac not only showed his faith to be genuine, but through his obedience, his faith matured. So Abraham's an example of this. But then we have the example of Rahab. Go from Genesis now to the book of Joshua, chapter two. Now there are vast differences between Rahab and Abraham. Abraham was a wealthy, moral, male, father of the Jewish people, and was a major figure in God's plan. Rahab was likely poor, an immoral female, she was a prostitute, an outcast, and Canaanite. Yet her faith in God was justified as she acted to hide these two spies that Joshua had sent to the promised land to to explore the land. By the way, she'd be later counted in the genealogy of Jesus. Here's the point James is making. No matter who you are, rich, poor, white, black, male, female, moral, immoral, no matter who you are, saving faith is the same for all. All of us, all of us come to Christ in faith, and all of us are transformed in such a way that that our faith will be lived out through our good works. There will always be fruit in a Christian's life. Now, as we think upon these things and as we come to somewhat of a conclusion here, again, James is not denying that we are saved by faith. He's assuming that. He's saying that your faith in Christ will be exemplified through good works. If I were to ask you, How are you certain you're a Christian? What would you say? Don't say it out loud. Just say it to yourself. How do you know for sure you're a Christian? What would you say? Many would answer by reference to the moment that they prayed the sinner's prayer. I'm a Christian because I prayed that prayer back in 19 something or another, 2000 something or another. I'm a Christian because I walked down an aisle. I'm a Christian because I was baptized or I was baptized again just to be sure. Some moment sticks out in, in your mind How do you know you're a Christian? And and a lot of times people go back to a moment, a moment of conversion. Now, it's true that for every Christian, there is a moment when you are born again. There is a moment when you are justified. You you go in a moment from being under condemnation to no longer being under condemnation. And it's, it's a good thing to remember that moment in time. Justification happens at a moment in time. You're justified once for all. And it's great if you know that exact moment. But even though it's a great thing to know the point of your conversion, the Bible places a lot of emphasis on fruit when it comes to the assurance of your salvation. I think if you were struggling with assurance or if James asked you this question, he would not be so concerned with the moment you prayed a prayer or walked down an aisle or signed a card or even at your baptism, as important as baptism and those things are. I think he'd ask you, how are you living your life? Tell me about your friendships. Tell me about your relationships. Tell me about how you serve people. How has the gospel produced fruit in you? And you might think, well, that's that's what James would say. I'm gonna stick with Paul. Or even better, Jesus. Glad you said that. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse five, said this. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. What are we examining? What are we testing? A moment in time or fruit? I think it's fruit. Okay, forget Paul. Let's go to Peter. Glad you asked. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, Peter says, Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Forget those guys, let's go to Jesus. Okay, fine. Revelation chapter, Revelation chapter three, verse one, Jesus says to the church at Sardis this, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And what does Jesus use to gauge that? Whether or not they're alive or dead, Their works. All of these teach that salvation is established through faith in Christ, period. Not by works of the law, not by doing good works can you earn salvation. But it seems that when they begin to look at the assurance of your salvation, they are quick to point to fruits and how that salvation is being fleshed out. Friends, simply simply saying you're a Christian doesn't make you one. The question you must answer is, do you live like a Christian? Can, can, can the evidence be stacked against you that you are a believer in Jesus Christ? Here are four simple questions to consider as we close. Maybe if you're wrestling with assurance of salvation or if someone were ask you, how do you know you're, you're a Christian? Do you have faith in Christ right now? Are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation right now? Is your hope not in yourself, but in Christ? Question number one, important one. Two, are you aware of the work and the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you aware of the fruit that the Spirit establishes and and bears in your life? Are you you aware and, and being convicted of your sin before a holy God? Are you aware of the Spirit's guidance and leading? Three, do you honor the Lord by being both hearers and doers of the word? What do you do when you leave here? You've heard God's word. What do you do? Tuesday, what happens on Tuesday? Wednesday? Is that word still with you, resonating in your heart, seeking to be applying the word of God? Number four is, is your life marked by a pattern of growth over time? These are just helpful questions. We could look at many more. There's a hymn uh, that we occasionally sing called Just As I Am. It's a fine hymn, and it highlights the fact that no matter who you are, no matter who you are, you can have hope in Christ because Jesus will meet you where you are. Jesus saves sinners. That is good news, because all of us are sinners, and Jesus, that's who he goes after. Well, that's great. Jesus saves sinners so you can come to Christ just as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. Jesus will take care of that. But that hymn doesn't flesh out the entire story. I don't know that it was intended to, but there's more to the story. Use other hymns to complement this. While, While I come to Jesus just as I am, Jesus does not leave me just as I am. He begins this great work of transforming grace to make us more and more like him. He changes us. Friends, while we must champion the glorious gospel of faith alone by grace alone and Christ alone, let us remember that our faith is never alone. It's never alone. True, saving faith is a living, working faith. Is that true of you? Do you believe facts about Jesus? Or do you believe in Jesus? And can that be proven how you live your life? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are the savior of sinners. You are the one that brings salvation. You are the one that brings hope in the midst of despair. You are the one that can cleanse sin You're the one that takes out the stony heart and and gives the new hearts. Father, you are the one that that works to bring dead people alive. And Father, we know that through Jesus Christ and his finished work, we have hope. And my prayer, Lord, if if, if someone is here today and and they don't don't know Christ, maybe they're here today, they're not a Christian. I'm sure we have many in this room that would be in that category, that they're here today and they would know down in the heart of their hearts they're not a Christian. Father, my prayer is that they would not try to work their way to you, but God, that they would see how you have worked to save them and that you would draw them to yourself right now and that you would just help them to see the beauty and glory of Jesus and that his perfect life and his sacrificial death was all that was needed to make them your own and Father, that you would just save them even now. God, may you initiate that work of grace in their lives that they would respond to you in saving faith right now. But Father, would you help us to realize that you did create us and save us so that we might live out lives for your glory. Good works are important not to save us. They're important for your glory, and for our own growth as a Christian. Father, you know our hearts' concerns. You know where we're struggling, and you know, you know our, our acts of disobedience. Father, you know all about us. So would you help us now to respond to you in a way that's fitting and right? God, would you make this church a church of great faith, but a church that is known for its faith because of how we live in relationship to you. God, would you do that work, we pray in Christ's name, amen.